Hello, future Sublation Media readers and Sublation Media watchers. I messed that up. <laughs> Okay. Hello, Sublation Media watchers and future Sublation Books readers. Um, you know me, I'm Ashley Frawley, and I've got here with me today Gord McGill, who has been a trucker for 25 years and has been involved in the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. And I know a lot of people have mixed ideas about what's going on, so I was hoping that we could hear from um, Gord, who's been doing the rounds doing lots of different podcasts and has written for Newsweek recently. And I was hoping that you might be able to set people straight. So could you tell me um, what got you interested in this movement? Uh, it's pretty simple. I mean, they're my people, you know, um, like I say, I, much like yourself, uh, born and raised in Canada, uh, although I do live in the United States now in upstate New York. Um <clears throat> And, uh, you know, the term identity gets thrown around a lot and could mean thought terminating cliches, as we see from most of the media, or it could mean something real, like, you know, I've spent my entire life doing something, and that something is very important to me. So, uh, you know, Trudeau, the Trudeau regime in Canada has decided to engage in a... Uh, a form of punishment against um, truck drivers who've resisted taking the uh, vaccine and the timing of it was terrible. Right. So like um, truck drivers have been con considered some of the most essential of essential workers. We've worked through the entire two years of the pandemic. Um, and then in January of this year, 2022, Trudeau announces, well, if you're not vaccinated, you can't cross the border anymore. Um and that's a big deal because most freight in Canada goes south because the Americans are, su are such a large trading partner. Um, our uh, domestic freight market couldn't possibly absorb the estimated 30,000 people who would be out of a job due to Trudeau's dictates. And, you know, I mean, the dictate itself, it's like, you know, COVID numbers are on the wane. We know now that the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. We know it doesn't do anything about Omicron you know, so on and so forth. Like all of these facts are out there, yet Trudeau decides to basically punish these people and all of their families and has reduced the available uh, freight capacity market in the middle of a supply chain crisis, right? So uh, I think a, a thing I want uh, people to understand is like a certain amount of American trucks also come north and south over the border. And if you're an American, and you're unvaccinated and you don't want to comply with this, there's tons of work in the US, 330 million people. It's a huge market. You can just say, well, the hell with Canada. And now it's even harder and more expensive to get loads to move into Canada. So like, you know, he's exacerbating this ongoing supply chain crisis over and above, you know, treating these most essential workers like garbage and throwing them out of work. So it, it behooved me to travel back to Ottawa uh, meet up with some of these people, show some support and solidarity for them. And uh, when I came home from Ottawa after that first weekend, you know, the media started engaging in a smear campaign and I, I couldn't shut up. Like I had to say something and in saying something, you know, and having this little Twitter account that's like, I I've been commenting on trucking issues for a few years already, like in a very tiny niche capacity that nobody would ever know. 
and somehow that gained me some purchase with a few people connected to Newsweek. And then I ended up on Fox News, and I've been on like 10 podcasts in the last two weeks. It's, it's all been uh, very chaotic. Well, I'm really grateful that you've decided to talk to us. Um, but could you kind of describe the atmosphere at the protest? Because um, I know almost immediately, as soon as I saw things going on, people were sending me pictures of like swastikas and the people had swastikas written on their backpacks and that kind of thing. And I was talking to my brother who was there and he was saying, yeah, I've yet to see a swastika. And my brother being Ojibwe and he's there with my aunt as well. Like he's only walking around with a swastika or like, or be involved with anything like that. So I was just wondering, could you comment on that? What was it like to be there? Did Was this something that you actually saw? No, I didn't see any of that. I mean, you know, uh, downtown Ottawa that weekend and every weekend since has been basically a party. You know, Canada Day except in February and thousands and thousands of people expressing their support for the truckers and demanding an end to the COVID regime. Like, as I've said before, this isn't about the truckers anymore. It isn't even about the vaccine mandate against us specifically. This whole movement, despite being smeared on by the CBC and all the rest of the usual suspects, has touched the hearts of the nation. You know, the collective psyche of Canadians has been, you know, being pummeled by the psychological warfare in the wake of all the COVID nonsense. And oh, along I, come I these guys. To about that because uh, I've been talking to like this has opened up enormous rifts in my family, and I've got a really tight knit family, and like. Children will not talk to their parents. Many it's, such cases. Many yeah, such cases. Have, I've had an ongoing fight with my dad for four days now. <laughs> and my dad calls you the freedomers, as in freedom, of course. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering, like, it's not as smooth as kind of what, maybe what you're saying a little bit. There is, like, a lot, there is a lot of rifts. Do you think it's, like, on the whole, or do you think there are certain classes of society that tend to be more on side? What's your take on the reaction? Well, you know, this is just another battle in an ongoing culture war that's sort of taken over Western civilization, you know. And on the one side, you have the media, the government, the professional managerial class, you know, um, strivers, the overproduced uh, elites, as um, who is that professor that came up with that term? Uh, Peter Turchin. Um, so you have on that side, then on the on the other side, you basically have everybody else. And, <clears throat> you know, with a few exceptions, that's basically the divide with the truckers. You know, there's certain elements of Canadian society that believe us to be fascists while Trudeau is trying to construct a biomedical surveillance state working with pharmaceutical companies and big tech. Um, I mean, uh, the original definition of fascism is the government and corporations working together to manage society. And that's exactly what's going on here. You know, so, you know, and this guy with the swastika, you know, there's only a couple of photos of him. There's a video floating around the Internet that the media is completely ignoring where this gentleman was accosted by the other protesters. He's wearing a full balaclava. He won't talk. He won't identify himself. He's traveling by himself. He's not part of a group. He's wearing police issue boots and he got chased out of the protest, you know, so like. It's quite possible that this guy was either a plant or a lunatic, but over and above that, one guy out of tens of thousands of people who disappeared didn't show up at any of the rest of the protests, right? So this has been ongoing for the last three weeks. One guy does not an entire movement make. And I would think that people on the left should understand this, you know, like because traditionally, 
you know, anti-war movements, uh, people advocating for civil rights, people advocating for the rights of minorities, they'll get tarred by the conservative media for whatever random wingding shows up and, you know, carries a, uh, the rush, you know, the, the Soviet flag with the hammer and sickle or engages in violence like black bloc protesters. You know, like you guys should know that you cannot tar an entire movement based on a very small handful of people. Yet that's exactly what's going on here because it's convenient for the biases that already exist in people's heads. Hmm. So how did it, um, I know your, you said your grandfather was a trucker. Is that right? And Correct. He, he was involved in World War II. Yeah, he, my grandfather, uh, Sergeant James Ewart McGill, uh, Gray and Simcoe Foresters out of uh, uh, Owen Sound in Meaford, Ontario. He uh, landed D-Day plus three in Europe, drove across France, Belgium, Netherlands. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he saw his friends get killed and he also killed. And the people he killed were the, you know, the regime that had imposed a uh, papier and bitter, uh, you know, thing on Europe. So, you know, when, when people start calling me a Nazi, you know, as has happened, you know, since I appeared on Fox, I've, I've found out that people I used to associate with in Canada and even members of my own family have been saying this crap about me behind my back. And, and I'm like, guys, you know, my grandpa went and fought people that were doing the same things that Justin Trudeau's doing now, you know, and, and we have this Emergencies Act, which was invoked on Monday. And, you know, the naked robbery that's gone on in its wake, right? So, like, Christia Freeland came out and said, we're going to freeze all these people's bank accounts. And now they've rounded up. Last night, they rounded up a couple of the convoy's organizers. And as we speak right now, they're attempting to clear the truckers out of Ottawa after have, having set up a perimeter around downtown. And it's it's all very totalitarian. I mean, it's delivered in a nice suit and great hair from our, you know, hair Prime Minister Trudeau. Um, but like, when how 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 am I the fascist and Nazi for trying to protest against a guy who's literally bringing in a papers please society to Canada? Like mm -hmm. the inversion of reality here is unbelievable. Well, what people say is that you're that you're overreacting and that this is a legitimate public health crisis. And um, <laughs> and, I and mean, okay, infection fatality rate of 0.02% across the board. Okay, I guess. Well, I mean, yes, but when it's a worldwide pandemic, it's a lot that adds up to a lot of people. I'm just kind of playing devil to advocate here. I mean, sure. um, so I mean, that's the the argument. And I've noticed too, I, I I remember I was I was watching back like one of our interviews on YouTube and I was reading the comments and someone had written, Omicron is a big, huge killer and people just don't realize it for this reason. And there were like four or five people talking to each other. And I was just shocked. I was like, what the hell? It's like they wanted it to be, you know? Like it was this opportunity or something to really do something. You know, we got a well, crisis or something. I think... You know, there, a few people, a few commentators over the years have discussed the crisis of meaning in the West, the atomization of society, you know, people living in their condos, you know, eating bugs in the pod, whatever, you know, insert whatever meme here. And but that's a legitimate thing. And you have all these people who have been basically memed through fear into hiding out at home and believing all these people are dropping dead all over the world. And yes, you know. A, a, a certain percentage of people have succumbed to this, but at the same time, like, are we going to turn our society upside down for a small handful of people? 
you know, like other people have made the comparisons to like, you know, car accidents, other diseases, heart disease, cancer, obesity. <coughs> so like, you know, it, it really, it, it, it's bizarre to me that this is the thing that they've latched onto that, well, no, this is a health crisis and all of this, you know, these literally totalitarian actions by Trudeau are, are necessary. And the timing too, like I said, you know, the COVID numbers are dropping. There was an article in uh, CTV or Global uh, last Saturday. After two weeks of all these dirty, unvaccinated terrorist truckers harassing the citizens of Ottawa, they're, the, city, the, the hospital systems around Ottawa are experiencing their lowest case numbers since this thing started. So, like, it's, it's fading into the background and it's becoming endemic and it's, it's time for us to get over the COVID regime. That's the primary message of the Freedom Convoy. Like, let's move past this now. And Trudeau's just dug his heels in, and and that and that opens up many questions, like why? Right. So there's there are lots of different kinds of messages I think that have emerged, but there's two. There are two messages, right? One is to well, what are the two main messages that came out the other day? Part. Can you repeat that? Sorry. Sure. Yeah. So what were the two? main kind of claims of the convoy that emerged so the, the claims of the convoy or I, sh I should rather say the the demands the demands of the convoy are thus an, an end to all these vaccine mandates uh for the truckers for everybody else all across the board and we've seen four canadian provinces basically say we're going to end this at the end of the month in the last couple of weeks so the truckers are racking up some wins and the other one is there's a requirement if you're traveling to Canada to put this um, app on your phone called ArriveCan, and on the ArriveCan app, you're supposed to file either your vaccine paperwork, your testing paperwork, and you know then that app can track you and they can ding you with messages. Are you in your quarantine? What's your health like? Like basically, this is the first step in that march towards the biomedical surveillance state. And I'm very happy that the organizers of the Freedom Convoy realize this. So that's their two demands. End all the vaccine mandates, end this ArriveCan nonsense, and nip the biomedical surveillance state in the bud. That's it. This is not like, there's not a whole bunch of other stuff happening. You know, they've made it very explicit. They don't want to turn the government over. They've said that's what voting's for. We just want these mandates gone and we all go home. And Trudeau just won't budge. And instead, he's gone, he's gone full totalitarian this week yeah i and from what i can understand this is not the first time that truckers have experienced surveillance so, so here's the thing it seems a little not seems a little i know that there is some there is a lot of conspiratorial sort of aspects to this because i talked to my my brother and he kind of goes down that rabbit hole a little bit um but i i also understand that my brother has actual real reason to be suspicious of the state. And I think indigenous people generally have a real reason to be suspicious of the state because the state is not known for having our best interests at heart. Oh. And also, yeah, we are subject to enormous amounts of surveillance, which is why indigenous children, for example, make up over 50% of children in care, even though we only make up, they only make up 2% of the population because we're constantly being watched. And everything that you do is like, they actually have to hand out pamphlets to social workers that are like, oh, well, um, you know, you, you shouldn't be taking children away because they're they're not being watched by their parents when they play outside because that's just what Indigenous people do. That's what lots of people used to do, you know, but we're just constantly being, um, being watched and surveilled. So I can kind of understand, I can understand 
why there is this rejection of that. Well, let, let me give you some background with how that applies to truckers. So we've always sort of had to like maintain our hours of service, you know, in the interest of safety and that's all fine. But um, five years ago, the United States government brought in this thing called the ELD mandate, which basically requires that trucks traveling in excess of a hundred miles away from their home terminals have a device on their truck where that takes over the old paper log books <coughs> and the government has access to that and they can basically track you. Right. So you, you're required by law now as a truck driver to submit yourself to this surveillance technology. And if you don't, there's big fines involved and you know, a lot of truck drivers, we spend an incredible amount of time on the road. Like if you're a long distance truck driver, you might be week, a week or two weeks before you get home, three weeks. Some guys it's longer depending on how their routes and the companies they work for. So you live in your truck. And I don't know how the lawyers got this around the Fourth Amendment because the government is literally in the home of these guys that drive for a living. You know, you can't get away from it. You live in the truck. There it is. It knows where you are. It can tell every move you make. Um, how how is this reasonable in a free society? You know, and I've been commenting on trucking issues for a long time, and they say it's about safety. But the biggest problem in the trucking industry with safety is the high number of new people in it all the time. There's a problem with retention, so they're always churning through people. They can't keep the good guys around or the experienced drivers, and there's always new guys out, and they comp they compromise the majority of the accidents. So the government won't do anything to address the retention problem, which causes the accident problem, but instead we'll just say, okay, well, we're just going to surveil everybody, right? Like it's this, it's this idea that instead of doing something to improve the material conditions of the people involved, well, we'll just watch them and make sure that they're listening to our dictates, right? Like this, this whole idea of surveillance rather than proactive, problem solving to make people's lives better. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is um, pretty common also to, I can understand why COVID has then got under your skin because this is characteristic of the state's reaction as well. Instead of doing what, you know, ideally should be the good thing that governments are able to do, which is marshal enormous resources to solve a problem. They've kind of shirked the responsibility onto the public. So it's moved from government, just to put it in academic terms, like government to governance, right? So you, it's, it's about surveillance, it's about rules and regulations and so on. Um, and, and that's, you know, the government becomes a regulatory body. Is that kind of what your experiences as well? Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, the, the, <coughs> the sort of, you know, the maternalistic um, control that's been foisted on drivers over the past few years. I've written it on this at length, like the American conservative. I just had an article published today. Like, you know, this has been going on for a long time where instead of addressing problems in the trucking industry, they just blame us for everything and treat us like children. And people are only going to take that for so long. Mm -hmm. And so what I think happened with the freedom convoy in Canada was like, you know, Canada brought in these ELD mandates as well. You know, uh, various provincial electronic logging devices. Is electronic that logging devices, correct? And you know, they, they they sort of treat us like rolling piggy banks, and there's humongous fines for like very minor infractions about things. You know, the Ministry of Transportation in Ontario are famous for this. Same with ICBC. And so, like, we have to go through all this garbage at the hands of the state as a part of our daily lives, and then Trudeau comes in with this mandate after 
we've all been working for the last two years through this pandemic. And now at this late hour, when it's starting to fade away and other countries are opening up and, you know, we're, everyone's expecting we're going to get back to normal. You lay this on us and tell 30,000 people that they can't have a job. Like that was the straw that broke the 18 wheeled camels back, you know? So uh, what's been the response in terms of um, leftist organizations, like the traditional representatives of, you know, Oh, it's been terrible. They've sided with the government. Um, You know, the uh, Teamsters in Canada have denounced the Freedom Convoy. All these labor organizations have denounced us, the Canadian Steelworkers, CUPE. All all of your institutional labor organizations have basically said that, like, we're evil right-wingers and we should be stopped. And they've sided with Trudeau, which is incredible to me because the most material interest you can have as a worker is your own bodily sovereignty. And not even workers, just everybody. You know, and they've all caved into this, you know, COVID-19 regime paranoia, and they're treating us like crap. And, and there's another reason for that, too, because the Freedom Convoy was literally spontaneously organized. It's a decentralized movement. Like, other than the core group of people in Ottawa, there's not really, like, anybody in charge. So, like, you know, all the blockades that took place along various uh, border crossings were spontaneously organized. It wasn't directed by the guys in Ottawa. And so, you know, this, I call it a workers uprising. You know, there's all this academic nonsense about, well, some of them own their own trucks, so they're petite bourgeoisie, and there's not enough company drivers. Well, if you look at all the convoys, they were mostly pickup trucks because a lot of guys got laid off and didn't have access to their big rigs, so they came in their own vehicles to join up. So, like, this this, this nonsense about, like, oh, petite bourge versus, you know, the proletariat, it's, it's all garbage. We don't, truckers don't think about that way. Truckers are truckers. Whether you own your own truck or not is irrelevant, right? And like, also the whole idea with um, the ownership of the, uh, the trucks is a bit uh, murky because isn't there, I, I was just reading some of your work, um, that you've, some things that you've written. Um, isn't there like a move to offload the costs of the trucks onto work? Yeah, in some, in, 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 in some of the larger freight carriers, they have these things called lease operator agreements where, you know, they promise you the life of the traditional owner operator where you're your own independent business. However, there's a whole bunch of catches. You only work for us. We pick the loads for you. You know, you work under our authority and our insurance, but like you pay for the truck, you pay for the fuel. So it's, it, it's sort of, in some in, in many respects, it's been argued to be a uh, type of indentured servitude. So, yeah, those lease operator arrangements, yeah, to call those people petite bourgeois or business owners is really stretching what those terms actually mean in reality. And like I said, if you understand trucking culture, you know, yep. there's a fella in a, an America named Jeet here from The Nation, <coughs> and he made a tweet you know, arguing that like we're a bunch of right wingers and petite bourgeois people. And like, you know, we're not, we're, we're all owners and we don't actually represent the workers. And I replied to him and this is before I got banned, but I said, you know, the, 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 this narrow less than a millimeter wide gap between company drivers and owner operators will be crossed very quickly in order to give you a wedgie, you fucking nerd. Right. Because they don't understand. All these commentators, all these leftoid commentators, they don't know any truck drivers. They don't understand the culture. They think that there's like some huge gap between people that own trucks and people that drive trucks. And, and a lot of times there isn't one whatsoever. So, I mean, you know, 
I can't I I I I can't lift these people of their delusions if they refuse to listen and they just call me a Nazi. Well, I think what why I've been like I I was really excited about the whole convoy because I think that freedom is a word that's been lost generally as part of movements. So we we often we look for you know we demand some kind of social policy, we demand something that's easy to give and and freedom and self-determination is probably one of the most radical demands because it's not easy to give um and and i feel this like as an indigenous person as well knowing that self-determination is one of our big kind of rallying cries and yet constantly it's being pushed to the side in favor of like well-being or mental health and like well one day when you're able to cope maybe you know that'd be nice to well, no, there's there's a few people out there that well your well-being and your ability to cope well, well who gets to say that well there's some bureaucracy somewhere of people taking money from the government to administer all the people who can decide whether you can cope or whether you have the ability to determine things for yourself right like it's just all this nanny state administrative state jobs program nonsense that you know hey we need to be able to tell you how to run your life you know we can't actually let you do it yourself god forbid you make the wrong choice it is oh my god i can't i don't i can't i know but here's the thing that sounds right wing which is crazy because if you actually read someone like Karl Marx, he says freedom and self-determination is the ba- is the core purpose of everything. Like, why do you go on strike, for example? You go on strike because you want more money and you want to spend less time engaged in, like, reproducing your bare existence. Uh, you want to increase the realm of freedom. You want to be able to work without compulsion. You want to be creative without being compelled to be creative. And that's the whole point of everything that we do is to be able to live without coercion and that's that's that is a very marxist idea and yet that's been totally bequeathed to the right like i, sure. I well it's been, it's been it, i wouldn't say it's been bequeathed to the right so much as like you know again i'll go back to the culture war nonsense and i have these discussions with my wife you know she's a bit of a progressive she's a public school teacher and you know with all the baggage that comes with here in the united states and you know Anytime she hears me utter the phrase, the word freedom or talk to other podcasts, you know, and she'll listen in and say, oh, you're talking to those silly libertarians again. They just keep screaming freedom all the time. Well, why is freedom a dirty word? When, 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 when did the idea of having bodily sovereignty and self-determination become this bad thing? And it's because of these culture war battles where, you know, the progressives and the people attached to the democratic party and whatnot, they just associate this term with those evil Republicans over there. And, you know, so they view it as a thought terminating cliche. And then they have a whole bunch of their own thought terminating cliches that they circulate around. And if you actually try and dig in through this and get into the details and speak about reality, you know, it, it, fry, it frazzles their brains and they just cannot see past this cultural bifurcation, which is signified by these terms and who they think lays claim to them. So you mean like as soon as someone says freedom, everyone just kind of shuts down and, and thinks, oh, you're on the other side. Correct. Um, so what do you think like underlies that? So why do you think we've lost touch with these sort of core values? Well, there's a conservative argument that would, you know, <coughs> that, you know, we've, we've, fallen away from the constitution or whatever, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about all that stuff, but like it, it's the culture, right? Like we we've spent decades with the administrative state, just ever burgeoning and ever growing. 
you know, and some of the more paranoid among us might say, you know, this is the leftist long march through the institutions where, you know, we, we've come to accept the administrative state, bureaucrats, technocrats, all these people getting invaded or invading into our lives. And, um, you know, the, the questioning that is now considered bad. You know, you're a bad person. You know, th- these people here are keeping us safe. These people here are managing society and they're not to be questioned. And you just do what you're told and we'll all get along. This is for the collective good. You know, everybody's going to be fine. Well, you know what? Maybe being fine and being happy in this life are not always the same thing by your standards. You know, like some of us just want to be left alone. And a lot of people who want to be left alone are literally of no danger to anyone else. But we've been memed into believing that that is so. So, yeah, I think I think there's like a, a general kind of distrust of human beings um, that's filtered down and, and really filtered across the political spectrum. I think it's unfortunate that um, the right has laid claim to freedom because at the end of the day, they don't really believe in it. Because how do they explain so many social problems? Oh, well, people are stupid. People mess things up. The Fed, the government does such and such. People sure. And, and if I may, like I, I, I've, got, I've been paying attention to politics and sort of dabbling in philosophy and whatnot for a long time, you know, in my limited capacity as a trucker and with my very low IQ. Um, but, you know, like I'm so tired with like left and right. You know, I, I prefer Orwell's libertarian and authoritarian. Like, if you want to leave me alone, good. If you're a leftist and you want to leave me alone about these issues, great. If you're a rightist and you want to leave me about alone about these issues, great. You know, do you, what you guys fight amongst yourselves, I don't care. Just leave me the fuck alone. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, so I noticed that, like, I was watching a um, an interview with you from, like, four years ago. So you've been involved in kind of the history of trucking and talking to people about trucking and so on. And you had talked about kind of, like, socialists and communists being loonies and that kind of thing. <laughs> and I know my own family, like, my brother will not talk to me, even though I'm super sympathetic. And he just, like, he can't see past, like, colored hair and PhD because it's so not in his world. And, you know, I'm from this world, too. I know. I know. I, what I understand what you're saying. You know, like some sometimes our rhetoric gets away from us. And, um, you know, I, I haven't always been consistent. And my politics have been all over the place now. My wife keeps trying to pigeonhole me as a libertarian. But, like, I don't know. I have sympathies with the populists. I have sympathies with Marxists. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. And, um, Oh man, like you know, I, I'm happy to have spoken with you and had this opportunity. And you, you identify as a Marxist, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, if you're on team, leave me alone, and you're on team individual sovereignty and people getting to make their own decisions for themselves. Like, great, you're on my team. If you call yourself a Marxist, fine. If you call yourself an anarcho-capitalist, fine. I don't care as long as you understand that people have these basic rights. And their own bodily sovereignty. You know, the, the, the labels don't mean anything to me anymore, man. I'm just so over it. Yeah. So you've you've been involved in kind of um not involved, but you 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 read um you do a lot of reading on the road, you listen to podcasts, that kind of thing. You, yeah, you- yeah. I mean, I'm a bit of a podcast junkie. The medium suits me just because I spend so much time behind the wheel. I've probably been listening to audio. Well, my wife, my wife when I first met my wife. 
I had like an old flip phone or something. And she said, you know, you should go get yourself an iPhone and you can, you know, I'll buy you an audible membership. And there's these things called podcasts. Now it'd be really good for you. And so I bought an audible membership and <coughs> I started listening to podcasts and that's over 10 years ago now. And I've been addicted to them ever since just because it, it you know, Peterson describes it as found time and being able to engage in the discourse, even even if for the most part it's a one-way relationship where you're just listening to other people talk and jive and riff about things, you know, it helps you circulate your own mind while you're doing an otherwise possibly mundane task like driving or operating a forklift or you're commuting or you're walking down the road, whatever. So, yeah, it's helped me in my intellectual development. Like, I barely finished high school. You know, I have no, post, I have no post-secondary education to speak of. It's all just been reading and listening to things. Yeah. Um, there was one thing that's been kind of, I've been trying to think about and trying to think through, which I've been reading um, Trotsky's What is Fascism? It's like a mixture of a bunch of things that Trotsky wrote and, and about fascism, obviously. And um, one of the things that he argues is that um, a huge mistake that leftists made, not leftists, but like socialists and communists and like, Stalinists and so on made was they kind of one they called everyone Nazis and so they refused to kind of um, make any kind of um, arrangements with people to work together to fight against actual Nazis sorry they didn't call everyone Nazis they call everyone fascists sure. <laughs> so they wouldn't get together with other people to fight actual Nazis and the other one was that there was a legitimate discontent in society held on the part of petty bourgeoisie and other people um, who had legitimately being disenfranchised and dispossessed so instead they kind of attacked them and so this class of people were like okay i've got a tax on private property coming from capitalists and i've got a tax on private property coming from socialists and communists so they perceive um and so the nazis were like hey join with us and we'll fight this because they called themselves anti-capitalists um, and so they went with them and so they ended up bequeathing like a big part of it was like a humongous tactical error where they went and uh, they basically that was the support base of, of well, a big part of the support base of the Nazis um, and I'm just wondering like maybe that might be part of the reason why people see in this movement like oh it's fascist and so on because they've basically written them off and i wonder do you think that there is a legitimate chance of driving people into the hands of groups that are actually dangerous <sighs> man i the the problem specifically in canada <coughs> is that these so-called dangerous groups are so fringe and so marginal that they might as well not even exist and uh, in, in the wider culture, like, I mean, look what's happened. You know, this one guy with the swastika flag, who, again, was probably a plant, has basically turned the government upside down. And, 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 and that's all they could. You know, it's like they've got Tourette's now, Nazis, 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 which indicates that being against such things is what power is all about. And that's how they gain their support. So th these people, these, you know, these tiny fringe people, they have no power or purchase in society. And I don't think you're, there's nobody within the petit bourgeoisie or my fellow truck drivers that are really interested in any of that. I mean, maybe there's a couple, I can't speak for everybody, but like, you know, the, the demands that we're making are so limited and focused in nature that the, the rest of that stuff is to be perfectly honest. It's irrelevant to what the, the, the matter at hand. 
you know, and, and I, and I, and I kind of get annoyed with these people that keep focusing on all these marginal groups, like fucking who cares? We just want the vaccine mandate gone. Well, why are you talking about like what our political aims are after this? The convoy organizers have been very clear. There isn't any. And the mandates, we all go home. Done. Right? So was like there, could, like, a press conference, it was a bit of a mess where they were, did you see that? It was like four of them and it was a bit weird. Did, where they made uh, a bunch of additional demands. Um, yeah, but the, I, I don't, I don't know. I maybe, maybe I missed it. Um, you, you know, like they wanted Trudeau out and stuff like that. Well, the, the, those people weren't speaking for the convoy organizers. The convoy organizers have been very clear. They have a list of people. These are who speak for us. And these guys that did that over there do not speak for them. One of the things that like our antagonists keep trying to do, and there's some guy named Pat King who I never even heard of. And nobody had ever even heard of until this got rolling. And he's some lunatic from Alberta that just says ridiculous things. And I can't believe the RCMP haven't picked him up yet, which is, you know, maybe he's a fed too. And the organizers disassociated themselves from him right away. But the media keeps repeating these lies. Oh yeah. Pat King, freedom convoy organizer. He's gone. They don't, they don't associate with him. He doesn't speak for us in any official capacity, but you would never know that. And like I say, because they keep focusing on all this fringe stuff to try and like straw man and scare people. And who here's this like boogeyman over here. We're not, who cares? And the mandates, this is about everybody. This is about Canadian society returning to normal. You know, the, just, just stop. Um, I guess that's the, the thing that's uh, because the media has been focusing on it. It's become like a big part of how people understand it all. This kind of like the conspiratorial elements are you familiar with the work of Curtis Yarvin? No. AKA Mencius Moldbug. He's this like sort of dissident weirdo. Um, you know, some people consider him like, you know, an intellectual amongst the alt-right, which is ridiculous because he's not part of the alt-right. But anyway, he has this idea about like back in the day, like in Russia and whatever, the, the state kind of ran the media and, you know, they, they had their pop bureaus and they disseminated all their information and he says that's been inverted. We now have a media-driven state where the media drives the narrative. The media, in the, especially in the United States, because they're protected by the First Amendment, they're basically above reproach. So they can say whatever they want. If you're attached to the New York Times or the Washington Post, you can say anything you want about any politician or any other person and essentially use your platform and your influence to crush anyone. And there's nothing the government can really do about it. So his idea is that we now have a, meet, a, a state who's driven by the media rather than the other way around from back in the day. And mm -hmm. I think you're seeing that in Canada because the media just keeps repeating all this garbage about Pat King, swastika. And, you know, that influenced Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act, right? Like the CBC are fully compliant with whatever the Liberal Party wants and they're driving the narrative and Trudeau's just riding it. And people believe this garbage because like they've lost their ability to like be skeptical of this stuff. Right. Uh, pardon the interruption. Oh no. Well, <laughs> uh, talking to you, it's me talking too much. Um, uh, no, I guess from my own perspective, like I study the media myself in my academic work um, and the way that kind of storytelling gets pulled together and ideas don't just emerge out of nowhere. Like the, it's usually there has to be some organization. I mean, that's why you go and you protest when you don't have any power representation. You try to 
create social disorder news and hope that your ideas will get into the media that way. But when you do that, you, it's hard to kind of control a narrative uh, if you're powerless. Whereas people in power are able to control narratives. They have organization. They have one foot in the door of, of government and so on. So I tend to not think that the media itself generates things. Um, but, you know, you don't have to, I mean, you could just look at Chomsky, like a typical kind of leftist theorist with this whole propaganda model that whatever makes it into the news is usually what would be fav favorable to those in power. It's interesting you bring up Chomsky because he very publicly said that like the unvaccinated should be cut off from getting groceries and set apart from society. So, you know, this guy who was once a great critic of the media has now been consumed by it and has lost the plot. That's what I was about to say. I've been arguing with my dad, but I remember my dad had a book. My dad's like an autodidact too. Um, and he had a book on the shelf when I was a teenager. He had a book from Chomsky. And I remember that as a, like a punk rock kid, it was like, uh, you know, um, listening to no effects. It was like, yeah, Chomsky was like the big theorist of the of punks. Uh, and my dad had the pro um, um, a book on the propaganda model on our, on our bookshelf. I said to my dad, I was like, he's like, I've been watching the news. I've been following this. I've been watching it on six different networks, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dad, you're, you're the one who had a book from Noam Chomsky on your bookshelf. And yet you've just totally abandoned all of this. And it's like the mainstream media is our savior against the unruly masses. Yeah, no, it's, it's been this inversion and like, you know, props to Chomsky, you know, man manufacturing consent. That's the book I was is a is a seminal work about how the media functions. I mean, think what you will about Chomsky and his recent descent into madness, whatever. That book, like he laid it out, man. Like he he nailed it. And another another author who I think has been forgotten, and I don't know what her positions are anymore, <coughs> is Naomi Klein. You know, uh, no logo and the shock doctrine and. You know, her recent book on the climate alarmism, whatever, I haven't even read that one. But like in the shock doctrine, she outlines quite clearly using all of these, you know, uh, events in recent history in the last 30, 40 years about, you know, political instability, natural disasters, war, you know, uprisings, where in the aftermath of all this bad stuff that happens, the government and corporations come in and use this chaos and the instability in the wake of it to reorganize things and reorder society to the benefit of corporations. And she was correct. Like the, the central premise of her book is correct. And she laid it all out. And what do we see here? COVID-19 has seen the largest transfer of wealth to the billionaire class in human history. Um, governments the world over are initiating, like I said, bi this biomedical surveillance state apparatus and the pharmaceutical companies are just running crazy because everyone, you know, is being, you know, either forced or compelled or, you know, um, seriously influenced to take these vaccines. And like this is this could be in the shock doctrine, you know, and what happened? And, and, and Naomi Klein is a creature of the left. Well, what happened to these people? Yeah, it's funny. I read the shock doctrine when it first came out at the same time as I read Zizek's violence. I, think, I always suggest to my students, you want to like um, a very good combination. It's that where it's like we have the appearance of peace and then, you know, but it's only like a suppression of violence that's always rumbling underneath the surface. And everyone looks horrified when it breaks out. But it's just you, you're making obvious the everyday violence that you live under when when people get mad and go 
and and have a protest and take over squares. That's what they're doing. They're just disrupting what <coughs> the appearance of of peace. Yeah, and no, like and, and you know this Emergencies Act invocation has result. It's good. I, I I hopefully you know the guys in Ottawa either leave or you know be arrested peacefully. I would hate to, for anybody to get hurt. But like I was planning on going back to Ottawa again this weekend because I have some time and I wanted to express support for these guys. But going back to Ottawa hinged on Parliament being in session today and the House, you know, hopefully crushing this act because there's been some rumors that the NDP, the smarter people in the NDP are looking at the precedent this sets and saying, uh, -uh," despite Jagmeet Singh being Trudeau's wingman. But um, I, I can't. I can't go home because of all of my writings, if I get pulled into Canada customs, you know, if I drive to Ottawa, which is only five hours from where I live, Canada customs runs my name. They discover all these articles I've published in Newsweek and everywhere else and podcasts. And they're like, Oh, so you're going to go to the protest, which has just been declared illegal. Huh? How about you step out of the car, Mr. McGill? And then I get arrested because the emergencies act has allowed that to happen without the emergencies act. I could safely go home and claim freedom of speech freedom of assembly, you know, e even if I lied to them, I mean, I wouldn't tell customs I'm going to a protest. I would just say I'm going to visit my family. But like, if they run your name, you can't, you, I, I can't escape it anymore because now I'm a public figure, but I, I literally cannot go home. If I go home, I'll get arrested under the Emergencies Act. I'm fucked. And you've got um, kids too, haven't you? Yeah, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. The one's sleeping and the other one's <laughs> playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know they were both, I know they both had to nap. I, I shouldn't keep you too long, but how do you feel about that? Are you willing? I mean, like loads of people are taking huge risks. It's, it's quite scary. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my, um, a guy I worked with in Alberta had his truck on Wellington street for most of this. And on Monday when the emergencies act was invoked and he saw what was going to come downstream from that, he boogied, he left, he left Monday night and went back to Alberta. He's like, I can't, I can't risk having my truck seized. This is my income. You know, this is my means of production. It's mine. The trailer I'm hooked to doesn't even belong to me and I can't lose it to the Canadian government, you know, and have my friend be deprived of his piece of equipment. So he, he left, he went back, you know, it's a rational choice. And in the strategy, like the sort of, you know, th thinking ahead, it might be a good idea for everybody to leave now because like the walls are closing in. Trudeau had this, you know, he, he suspended parliament today. And I think that's to like basically round up more people and arrest them while he can, before he either gets quashed by the house of commons or the Senate, because ho hopefully there's some people in parliament that realize that there's never an emergency here. And Trudeau is just a tyrant. Um, I want to come back to, to that in a second, but I just wanted to ask you um, about with I had mentioned before about the, the conspiratorial thinking. I know I keep coming back to this, but I think it's the thing that a lot of people latch on to for why they say that this is like a far right movement. Um, have you come across a lot of that? Does that give you pause like the whole like new world order stuff? Well, some of it's true and some of it's garbage, just like anything else. You know, it's it's it, it's been said that like if you talk about the World Economic Forum, that you're a conspiracy theorist. Except the World Economic Forum is actually a thing. Many members of Trudeau's cabinet and many members of Parliament, uh, amongst all the parties, are graduates of its um, Youth Leadership Summit, and 
you know, you would know this. The, the NGO foundation industrial complex is a thing, and it set up this parallel shadow government where billionaires and corporations launder money through them, and they have access to lawmakers, to the legislatory pro- legislation process that the average person doesn't. So, you know, yeah, somebody might say, you know, NWO or Bill Gates, whatever, but there's always a kernel of truth to this stuff. And, you know, the, the media have, again narrative pushing said any discussion of this world economic forum makes you a conspiracy theorist but the guy who runs the world economic forum published a book called the great reset it's out there his connections to all these political leaders are known and in public how is this a conspiracy theory yeah i think that's one of the things that we were trying to talk about a little bit on the channel which is that i think there's a danger in writing off some of this stuff like I, instead, it should be engaged with so that I, I'm very um, stubborn. So when my aunt started saying this stuff, I was like, oh, shoot. But I argued with her and I was like, you're right, but you're just giving it too much like um, agency. Like pe- these people, yes, they will try their very best to exert their power, but they cannot just consciously pull the strings like puppets. There is a process. There's a, an economic process at play here. This is it's not a great reset. It's a great depression. That's what it is. And they're trying very, very hard to manage an extraordinary implosion of the economy. So, And I think people see this. People do actually see, well, first of all, it's hard not to because the people who are trying to manage it are and trying to spin it as like, oh, this wonderful transition and it's going to be sustainable and you're going to be happy and happiness is the most important thing and not money because you're not getting any money anyway. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The people who are trying to do that, they're out in the open, but they're out in the open because they're simply following to their logical conclusions, processes that are already in in action and that they don't actually have very much control over. They can guide these processes. They can ensure that things happen that um, maintain the status quo, but they're not in control of whether or not capitalism goes into crisis, a crisis from which it will struggle to emerge, uh, from which it will struggle to emerge. So that's the thing. I think you hear this and you go, oh, oh, conspiracy theorists. Oh, that's the far right. And you just write off an enormous swath of people who actually might be espousing demands that most human beings actually want, which is self-determination and not to have somebody breathing down your neck all the time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, far right is one of these terms that's just become a thought terminating cliche. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It just means um, those people over there, you shouldn't listen to them. Stop thinking, you know, it's like that meme where it's like up in the corner. It's like love and hope far right, (laughs) which is actually ironic because love and hope is pretty damn fascist. Anyways, I wondered, I've got not a lot of time left with you, but I wanted to know, how do you think this whole thing is going to end? Is it going to end? Like I've read some terrifying scenarios. Do you think people are just going to wander off and that's it? I don't think people are going to wander off and that's it. I mean, as we speak, moves are being made in Ottawa. Maybe they're towing trucks now, but like the cops, the RCMP have moved in and are are beginning to break the protest down. How it cracks out? Well, I think a lot of drivers that are involved in this are just going to go home and sit on their hands. So you're going to have uh, the the capacity crunch in the trucking market is going to continue to affect supply chains and availability of products. And it's going to continue to increase the rates companies need to pay to get their products moved and, you know, further 
um, further inflate the inflation. <coughs> and as, as far as Trudeau and the government side of this goes, it, it remains to be seen. Well, I, I hope that, you know, Parliament knocks the Emergencies Act invocation down, either the House or the Senate. And if they don't, then, you know, we're in real big trouble already. Like this is this is totalitarianism in a in a supposed Western democracy. And if they if our elected officials in the in the Canadian government don't push Trudeau back, we are in deep deep shit. And I I, I hate to I I don't I don't like to be a predictor of things. I don't believe I'm qualified to predict. Um, but I I can say that. I don't believe that the truckers are going to capitulate. They may have to leave Ottawa. A few of them may be arrested. We might experience a setback in that regard, but like, I don't think we're going to stop fighting this. It'll just be a matter of, you know, having a strike at home, just sitting at home and saying, fuck you. I'm not working. Hmm. So uh, one warning for you though, Trudeau is just the face of something much larger. I mean, if there's a, you know, there's a, process that needs to happen you need to crush resistance you can get rid of trudeau but someone else will come up and that's the that's the scary thing is that you you can't focus on just individuals and governments you have to understand what's going on in a deeper way um to really figure out how to fight against it but of course within our capacity is always the ability to withhold our work our labor well i'll get back into something technical about the supply chain crisis and something i've, I've written about is Efficiency of the use of capacity, like say the total trucking fleet in Canada and the US, and how much of our time gets wasted, like loading, unloading, being delayed in all these places, which is completely beyond our control. If, you know, if the government wants to do something, if leftists want to do something to say, hey, we want to improve your material conditions and make sure you guys are happy and make sure the supply chains work, do something about all the delays. Putting a driver facing camera or an electronic logging device in the truck does nothing about the actual problems, much of which are created by the fact we get held up everywhere all the time. You know, if Biden wants to do something about the supply chain crisis or Pete Buttigieg, you know, um, do something about industry holding us up all the time and all of this capacity just sitting. Most of the time, drivers not getting paid while we're sitting waiting for people. Oh, America. Someone just woke up from a nap. A future truck driver. Okay, well, I will let you go. Right. Uh, nice to meet you. Um, and thank you so much for, for coming um, onto the channel to, to chat. Um, I hope that we can we can talk again and maybe we can go into a bit more detail about some of the things that have come up. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. Do you have uh, any final words that you want to give to people who want to write you off? Um engage in like civil discourse and like admit reality you know d d don't allow yourself to be caught in thought terminating cliches and understand that like you have biases the media is preying on them and you know talk to people who you believe you know or you've been memed into thinking are the demons the demonized the outgroups because like reality is a whole lot different than as it's being presented to you I think that's a good message we should probably talk to each other and argue a little bit more yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely thank you for having me on like i say this is the third explicitly leftist um presentation i've done you know podcast and <coughs> I, I would like to do more you know um 
One of the criticisms I've gotten in the wake of appearing on Fox News from like my in-laws and a few other people is, well, why would you bother talking to Fox News? I'm like, I'll talk to anybody. The CBC didn't invite me on. CTV didn't invite me on. NPR didn't invite me on. Fox News did. There's a megaphone for four minutes, and I'm going to use it to defend, to defend my people. Yeah, and it's a cause that we should Thank probably you for not giving like, me the megaphone. Give up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. 